Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Other People's Things. I am so excited to have a little interview today. So I actually met a woman named Catherine, who is a reseller herself, who has been collecting, wearing, and selling vintage for quite a while. I'm going to be reading for her today. Uh, because she wasn't comfortable with having her voice on air, which I know a lot of people can relate to that I have interviewed and spoken with. I think getting over the sound of hearing our own voice can sometimes be quite difficult, and it totally makes sense. So that's why I'm here, someone who is finally comfortable with hearing my own voice to do the reading and talking for both of us. And I am so excited that you've decided to join me today for that. And, you know, I hope that everybody's having a good summer so far. I certainly am and have been enjoying it. And I wanted to just tell you a little bit about what I'm wearing today. So I have um, this really lovely sweater that my friend sent me. It's black and it's wool and it's beaded very, very intricately. There's a little white and ivory opalescent sequins all over it. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful sweater. And I'm wearing it with one of my Rayon 40s uh, blouses underneath so the collar can kind of peek over. I love that look. And, you know, it's just so quintessentially 50s. It's lovely. I'm not doing a hat today because I didn't really know how to, well, scratch that. It's not that I don't know how to pair a hat with like a casual sweater and a skirt kind of outfit. I think it is just less commonly seen if you look through old photos to see a woman who's wearing like a sweater or a sweater set or something a bit more casual wearing a hat with it. So I kind of went with that in mind and I wanted to, like with all of my looks, channel a feeling of just stepping out of an old photograph, which is kind of why I do it. It's just like time traveling a little bit. So nothing flashy today, just something comfy and common, which I love. Love it. Okay, so sitting down today with Miss Catherine, I asked, could you tell me a little about your own experiences of getting to collecting, wearing, and selling vintage? Catherine says, I started collecting when I was 16, but back then I didn't know how to find vintage in the wild, so I shopped at my local vintage store. Fast forward six years, I ran into some ladies at a local vintage group who wore vintage every day, and I realized that if they can do it, then there's got to be a more affordable way to find vintage. So that's when I discovered estate sales. It was so thrilling knowing that I could get clothes from the source and not have to pay ridiculous Etsy prices. Eventually, I wanted to downsize my closet and or pay bills, and so I began to occasionally resell. I think that's really interesting, and I love that she mentions the ridiculous Etsy prices versus the reality of finding things in real life um, outside of the internet, because with all these interviews I do and all these episodes where I'm talking to you about how things are obtained, I really want to drive the point home that the internet is a completely different place for buying than it is in person. And what I 
and other people have started to notice is some of those internet prices have been beginning to carry over to in-person places, whereas not so long ago, things were much cheaper in person. But I have a feeling that people are seeing how things are being priced online which is kind of like an alternate reality. They're seeing how these things are being priced and then they're saying, oh, well, I'm going to price it like this too. If they're getting this money, like I want to be able to get this kind of money. So it really is creating this false kind of idea of how much things are worth just because they see people doing it online. They're now um, taking notes and copying them. So next I asked Catherine, what is your favorite era and style to wear? What is one of your favorite pieces that you've ever found? And she said, that's a hard choice. It usually is when I ask people this, but I still love to ask. She says, if I had to pick, I would say late thirties and early forties is my favorite era. I love the strong yet feminine look of that time. One of my favorite pieces ever is a 1930s wool ski suit with a matching hat. I bought it from a man who said it belonged to his aunt who apparently skied often with Ernest Hemingway. You can't beat vintage with a good story. That's so true. I really love that late 30s, early 40s um, trend of ski wear in ski movies and like winter sports were like a really big thing, which you can see um, in some movies too. I know that there was a movie called Sun Valley Serenade that I like to watch around Christmas time. And it is basically all about, it's, it's a musical, but it takes place at like a resort, like a wintertime resort. And everybody is wearing these cozy outfits, like, you know, the men's Jansen sweaters with like the snowflakes and deer, um, on them like the knitwear my husband has the exact same sweater from that movie and i thought that was really cool that it was a commonly made one and you can find them still being sold online so they were taking things you could probably buy at a department store and putting that on some of their characters which i thought was really neat so anyways ski wear in the 30s and early 40s was a really big thing and that's really cool i would love to just for nostalgia's sake get some uh, ski winter type things just to have it. I think that's really special. I asked next, I know you resell sometimes. Where do you usually source and how do you keep your sourcing methods slash business practices as sustainable or fair as possible? She said, I source a lot from estate sales and local individuals. I think the biggest thing is mindset. I don't go to the estate sales with an intention of reselling. I go with the intention of collecting and repairing. If it doesn't work for me, then I will resell. Or on the occasion, if I spend too much and need to pay a bill, then I'll resell a few things. With individuals, I will always pay the price they're asking, and if it's given to me, I don't resell. A few months ago, I had a sweet elderly lady sell me her antique clothing collection because she knew I would wear and cherish items or find someone else that does, and that meant a lot to me. I think that's really sweet, and I agree. I mean, if things are given to me, I, I agree that I don't resell, and if I do, it's for extremely cheap, and it's to cover whatever restoration work that I do. And I think that that's a really 
lovely thing that she said. She doesn't go out with the intention of hunting and buying up as much as she possibly can because she's aware of the fact that other people who enjoy vintage might be trying to go and find things for those affordable prices too. And she doesn't say that she never resells, but she does it mindfully. And that's something I want to drive home too, is that you can do this mindfully. You may not be able to make it your full-time career, but I think it's worth it if you would like to be able to share in that joy with others who enjoy it. Next, I asked, do you think that most people who donate or sell their old collections care what happens to them? For example, do you think they care if they will be resold for like a thousand percent markup? Do you have any examples of this? She said, I think everyone wants to be treated fairly, which means a buyer should always inform the seller or donator of the item's value before they purchase, if you're going to resell. I personally would hate to sell a piece to someone not knowing its true worth, only to find it online for five times the price. I would feel cheated. And I just want to say that many people do that I've spoken to, they do feel cheated. But if I knew that I didn't have the audience and the buyer was transparent with me and said, I'm probably going to get 600 at my high-end antique mall, would you take 400? I would think that's fair because there's no way I could get that clientele, but if he can, by all means. As far as donated items, I think that's a different story because most people donate their clothes with the thrift store's mission in mind. Did someone find affordable clothing? Yes. Did the thrift store get their money for the mission they served? Yes. I agree 100%. I think it's so important to be transparent and upfront about things, and you don't have to go out of your way to give somebody a complete itemized receipt of what you're going to do, but I think it's important that if you are shopping to flip, that you let the person you're buying it from know who you are, especially especially if you're going to turn it over for a very high price. Otherwise, it is very dishonest and it makes people feel like they've been taken advantage of and rightfully so because you are taking advantage of them and the fact that maybe they don't have the knowledge at the time. And some of you may argue, well, that's their problem, not mine. But is that really such a good team player, community-minded attitude to have? It's not. And I think you know that. And I think that's why so many people have been defensive about this topic. And honestly, what she said about donating to the thrift store, it's a completely different story. And I agree with her 100%. Uh, most people who donate their clothes to the thrift store, I do really think that they are thinking about the thrift store's mission. They're thinking about things going to those who need it. And that is why many don't bother selling it on Poshmark or ThreadUp if they can afford to donate things without having to resell them. Then they're not looking for more resellers to flip and buy their clothes. And it's not, I don't really think it's fair game if you find it at a thrift store because thrift stores, while they're not going to ask you for proof of income, of course not, they weren't designed for people who can afford to buy things new. They just weren't. And most of the time, people weren't shopping there who could afford to buy things new. This is a new phenomenon that people are very working very hard to justify because they love not having to spend as much money and they don't care who they throw under the bus to be able to do this. And that's wrong. And I'm going to keep saying it's wrong. So next, I 
know that Catherine wanted to dive into talking about estate sales because that's kind of like her corner of expertise. I asked her because it's, <laughs> I said it's, I have um, a lot of sympathy or compassion for anyone who has to navigate estate sales these days because it really is wild out there. And I've seen videos and it's not like those calm, quiet preview videos that certain people can get early access to and just take those lovely, um, quiet videos of showing everything all ready to be sold. Once the doors open and they start letting people in, it's a mad grab and it's absolutely like a zoo. So I asked Catherine, can you tell me about an estate sale experience that left a bad taste in your mouth, perhaps when you started seeing the reselling community at its worst? She said, gosh, I have so many. I would have to say my first big estate sale burn was when I went to a sale in the big city near me. I woke up at 5 a.m. and arrived at the sale by 6 a.m. As number eight in line, I figured I'd get maybe a good couple of pieces of the hundreds I saw on the racks in the previews, but they were all gone within seconds of the sale opening because a local vintage brick and mortar store had literally brought her gang. These guys opened their arms as wide as possible and picked out 50 or so off the rack at a time, just tossing it in a pile on the floor to sort through. It's caused me massive anxiety when going to sales since. I might also add that I went to visit this vintage store a year later and the owner was extremely rude. And she's also heard this from others too. I have so much to say about this and it breaks my heart because it's the same situation you hear about at the bins where people bring in their carts, they cover them with tarps, so they fill up as much as possible, cover with tarps, they hoard things so nobody else can look at it. They're very territorial. And it's so sad that if you're in a state sale when someone grabs things and throws them into a pile that it's considered like off limits for anybody else to touch that pile because they created their own hoard or stockpile of things that they get um, entitle, entitlement to first, they believe, just because they grabbed it and they threw it into their, their den. And they brought their friends so they can kind of protect it. And I could see how something like this could get physical, violent even, if anybody else were to say, hey, that's not okay. I'm not going to ignore this pile just because you threw it in the corner. I don't think that that is playing fair. And they all say, oh, well, it's fair because it's first come, first serve. It's not fair to take things and throw them into a pile and have your friends come and be bullies and like guard that pile so nobody else can look through it. It's that whole area. If it's free game, then you shouldn't be allowed to take things and be greedy like that. That absolutely disgusts me. And I could see how it would be very anxiety inducing and intimidating for someone who's not as cutthroat as that, because we are all there for the same thing, which is clothing, but some of the motives are different. And if your motive is to restock your shop, I think that you should not have first priority if your shop is struggling that badly to where you need to compete with regular people who are shopping for themselves, then it is not a sustainable business and it is not something that you have the right to sit there and take away from people at a fair price if it's available to everybody. That's so wrong. And again, I think it might be time for the sun to set on your business if you're feeling like it has to get that competitive and you're taking away that joy of shopping for everybody else because what it's doing is that's also hurting your business in the end. And 
for anybody with a heart, I feel if they see that kind of behavior, they're not going to want to shop from you. Me, personally, I have felt lately this bad taste in my mouth for wanting to shop with resellers online. And what it does is create this sense of, I don't want to say being paralyzed, but disinterested in wanting to buy more vintage anything, this disinterest in wanting to patronize from from resellers who I know get their stock this way. And I know that not everyone is cutthroat and nasty, but there are so many people who do this and it really is exhausting and frustrating to have to think about how am I going to sift through to find the people who are decent and who deserve my money and the ones who don't. And a part of me would rather just not buy anything used and just buy like nicer quality, more new clothing because I don't know about anybody else, but I don't only wear vintage all the time. I feel like that's not quite sustainable, especially with the fragile condition of most of the clothing. And it just, it drives me away from wanting to acquire more vintage because of behaviors like this. And what used to be a fun necessity in a way of buying things secondhand, um, it was also relaxing while it was also necessary for me because of what I could afford. It was also just like a really relaxing treasure hunt. and like kind of a fun thing to do that I've always loved, even whenever I was a kid. And now it's like, you just can't do that anymore because it's all about profit and greed. And it's really a bummer. And I'm hoping that will change. And, you know, if we could consider maybe not consuming as much whenever it comes to buying resold vintage and being very careful with who we buy from and how we do it, it might really make a big difference not quite as much of a demand means they won't be able to do as much with the stuff they hoard and stockpile. They might be forced to bring some of those prices down. You never know. Um, all I know is that it will cause some sort of change if we kind of work with what we have. So what I said next. And I asked her, do you think this predatory behavior trickled over to their business practices and ethics in the store? When people behave like this, how does it change your um, perspective on sales and vintage shopping? And do you have another story about estate sales that really sticks out or any patterns you've noticed? So I asked her that and she answered, I definitely think it trickles over to their business practices in the store. The owner will not even acknowledge you unless you are there to sell them pieces or you're some kind of celebrity with lots of money. Oh my gosh, this has happened to me so many times, especially vintage shopping in LA. It's horrible. Anyways, Catherine says she private buys collections all day long. So who knows how much she actually pays for those pieces too. Because of my experiences, I get massive anxiety when I go to sales. Sometimes I'll lose sleep the night before because I'll relive the scenario of the gang of vintage resellers over and over in my head. Ha ha. Like it's sad, but I get where it's kind of funny because you're you're having nightmares about the, this like gang of thugs who are just after, you know, vintage lingerie or or party dresses. It's kind of weird that that people are getting like this at this point over you know used old vintage clothes that are lovely, but that's what they are. And they're acting this way over them. 
She says another estate sale that stuck out was a time when I found a 1920s green silk velvet dress and a matching jacket. I was so pumped to get it because it was peeking out in the closet on the listing pictures, and I absolutely love the 20s. Well, as I was walking around the sale, I hear a loud, whiny voice from a lady in her early 30s saying, Who got the green dress? Then she spots me and rushes over, demanding I give it to her. I'm serious. Straight up, she said, give it to me. I was in absolute shock. Of course, I told her no, and that it was first come, first serve, but she followed me around the entire sale and gave me so much anxiety I had to leave. And yes, you better believe she followed me outside. Oh my gosh. Good for you. I just want to say good for you for saying no. That is horrible behavior. Um, and then she continues, first time I've ever felt scared for my life at an estate sale. She ended up admitting she didn't know anything about it and just wanted it for a photo shoot, probably intending to trash it afterwards. That's so horrible. I've been followed around the Goodwill too. I've talked about this before, just over a 50s Rembrandt dress that some lady saw and decided she wanted it so she could resell it. So I just don't understand why these people are so entitled and um, difficult argumentative. It's concerning. And I'm really sorry that you felt afraid for your life or something else just over a dress. It's absolutely ridiculous. And her approach was, was horrible. That's why I think people who are like-minded to me and Catherine, like we need to start finding people in our area and just go in groups and give them a little taste of their own medicine. So next I asked Catherine, has it always been like this? Or when did you start noticing that estate sales were becoming more competitive? She said, I would say it's getting worse. Before 2021, I would be able to just waltz right into an estate sale and shop easily. Now I have to treat it like it's Black Friday shopping times a thousand. I'm definitely noticing a lot more resellers than just a few years back. You have to treat it like it's Black Friday shopping day. You'll have to get up at 3 a.m. and wait in line for hours and hours. And then when the sale starts, you have to run and hope and pray that you get to the item before someone else does. It's a freaking madhouse. The difference from Black Friday is that it usually is a one-of-a-kind item, so it can be more devastating if you do miss out. Wow. It should never have to be like this for, for used everyday kind of items. It's not right. And I was never a fan of Black Friday type behavior for new items either. I mean, it's it's human behavior at its worst. I'm just going to say that. Next, I asked, have you ever felt fed up from this behavior? What do people like that contribute to the environment at sales like this? And how does it affect the community and genuine collectors? Yes, absolutely fed up. I think it makes everyone a little more hostile towards each other. I've literally seen fights break out over some 50s wicker purses. I mean, come on, people. As for the genuine collectors, supply and demand. Genuine collectors have to pay more at estate sales because the companies are taking notice at how much the resellers are willing to pay and how much they flip it for. A couple years ago, I could get a vintage dress for less than $10. Now I'd be lucky to pay under 30 which in turn makes me end up selling a piece to make up for my spending. See the sick cycle? I do. I do really see it. And, you know, people are getting better with smartphones and looking things up and doing their own research and seeing online how much things are going for. And I was talking to someone else, a young lady who told me that 
at an estate sale, she saw these dresses that were marked up three or $400. And just because the person who was doing the estate sale saw online that something from the same brand was marked up for at least around that price that she felt it was justified. But the issue was the items that they were selling were in a not popular style and they were in a very, very, um, tiny size, like a 28 bust or something like that. So it's not like the same thing as something they would find online. But the issue is you're getting people who aren't really that well versed in what they are selling, but they're just clicking on Etsy and seeing the prices on there and immediately saying, oh, well, this is the same. And you don't have to be very well educated or experienced to do that. And so it's very dangerous that a lot of resellers are pricing things so high too, even though it's a different thing and more desirable, but because it's so inflated, that's making these people think they can inflate even the most simple and similar examples. And it means that stuff isn't going to be sold. It might more likely end up in a landfill and people are missing out. They would love it and cherish it. I don't see any benefits to this situation. Next, I have asked, so you've noticed that because resellers are willing to pay more and want to buy up the stock that estate sale companies will mark up their wares, some people claim it's just inflation and resellers have nothing to do with this. What do you think? Um, and I asked if she thought they were lying or misinformed. She said, oh yes, I work for an estate sale company. When the pricing teams can tell it's vintage, they will stick a random high price tag on it. It's always because they know resellers will line up to, to buy it, supply and demand. This leads into another important thing you've posted about in your stories. Can you tell me your experiences with vintage flippers and most recently the one who treated you disrespectfully that wanted to flip your items? I recently had a booth at a pop-up market in my small town. My clothing was extremely discounted because I wanted to be reasonable and let's be honest, get rid of some things. Well, I had a lady come up to me and she started picking through my things, telling me how crazy my prices were and that my pieces weren't worth it. She kept lowballing me and belittling me to the point of where I gave in. Come to find out she was a reseller. And then I asked, how did it feel to be treated like that? She said, I felt disrespected. I spent many hours sourcing, cleaning, and repairing a lot of that vintage, and she had the nerve to treat me like I was hosting a garage sale with modern clothes. See, that's really upsetting that she was able to intimidate uh, Catherine into giving her a low ball offer and just so she could flip it and resell it. So how are these people who claim to be community minded and care about their customers, how can they get away with treating their customers and other people who are working in the same exact field like this? It's so cutthroat. It's so unnecessary. It's, it's horrible. So next I asked, what's the difference between resellers like her and ones who are more community-minded? What could you learn from the latter? She said resellers like her are very greedy. Community-minded resellers believe that helping one another brings more benefits, friendships, and opportunities than if they were to be unkind. I've heard resellers say, oh, I challenge you to go out yourselves and find what we do. It's such hard work. Why do you think people feel like we need to rely on them to find good quality secondhand clothing? Could this attitude be contributing? Is it even true if we took them out of the picture? She says, hey, 
I don't know. That's a hard one. I feel like it is a lot of hard work finding vintage. I've had to do a lot of early mornings and long drives, but then again, I may not have to do that if there weren't so many resellers. Ha ha. That's the thing. It's so hard to put it into perspective of what the reality actually is because we don't know anymore. For the past few years, it's just been so hard to find any vintage because of the change in the business practices. I asked many resellers place themselves in a position of being a hero because they say they are saving things from landfills and combating overconsumption. Do you think that overbuying vintage and stockpiling it is also overconsumption in its own way? She says, I think it can be. I worked for an estate sale company and have done several estate sales where the owners were antique dealers and hoarders. I mean, one in particular took us about three months to get everything out of the house and a lot of it was in bad shape because when you collect that much, things get forgotten and not taken care of. So if this is true, which I believe her, then that would mean and connect to what I have heard about certain vintage resellers who have warehouses, large warehouses of inventory, and they buy and buy and buy and hoard and stockpile. And what happens is they lose their ability to control the quality of what they're sending out. So they're going to be, they've sent out smelly, damaged, wrinkled, dirty items. Um, that have issues that they didn't even record in their photos, possibly because of storage issues, irresponsible um, descriptions even, just not paying that much attention because they have too much. I mean, you can just tell that they are losing their quality because they have overdone it and they're unable to stay in control. And that's not okay. That's not healthy. That's not good for the clothes. And guess what? super damaged things are going to go to the landfills. And that's exactly the line that they're saying to justify what they're doing. Oh, I'm saving it from the landfills. But if you're buying too much, you're sending it and it doesn't sell, then you're sending it right on back to Goodwill, right on back to the bins, right to the trash sometimes, right to the landfills. So I feel like that argument is just so tired. I'm over it. And we're basically next agreeing that when resellers do this, it takes away opportunities from others to enjoy it. Next, I asked, do you think that someone who has a passion for vintage truly would sell things for prices only attainable to a certain class of people? And she agrees that it's contradictory and that passion gets lost with greed. So you might have originally been very passionate about history and vintage, but if you start reselling and you really see how much you can get it for, and then you hoard and stockpile, I think that greed can easily wrap its fingers around anybody and change them. So we have to be careful. So I've heard some resellers who charge inflated prices justify their choices by saying that they are driving, finding, sorting, cleaning, mending, photographing, and listing items. Therefore, they are entitled to charge whatever they want. Do you think this is correct and that they should pay themselves however much they want? Catherine said, I know that this is a lot of labor doing all of that, so I think they should charge a fair price, but a simple soak of a cotton dress should not make that $5 purchase into a $500 sell. When it comes to a vintage dress that they have to take to the dry cleaner, pay a professional professional seamstress to fix, then let's talk. I can justify selling a $10 dress for $300 if I were to pay plus 15 in gas 
three hours of waiting where you would pay yourself maybe 15 an hour, which equals out to $45, two hours of washing, which would be $30, three hours of mending for 45, one hour of photographing, editing, modeling, and measuring for 15, add cleaning solutions, cost $5, packing materials, maybe four, estimating my total amount around 169, then I can see how it would be justified. Otherwise, if the item was in good condition and just needed a quick soak, I would sell for way under and fair average price. I think that's fair. As someone who sells, how should resellers price their items to make sure they are being paid fairly for their time and effort, but not charging too much either? Okay, uh, let's see. She says, Catherine says, I always use, I'm just going to get rid of that. I always use eBay sold to see a good average going rate. It tells me that's a fair price and many people are willing to pay it. So that's a really good idea that I didn't think about before this, but using eBay sold could be a decent way to price things and see what people have bought things for. And then you can price accordingly. So at least you have something to go off of. Next, you've mentioned certain items being faddish, like Pyrex being worth a lot one year and nothing the next, or gunny sack dresses being expensive now but weren't always. Who is setting the bar for these high prices and trends? She says, I believe social media influencers set the bar. The minute some vintage girl with a huge following posts a cool picture of herself wearing a certain type of look or an outfit or like a certain gunny sack dress or like a plastic plastiflex um, purse or telephone cord bag or whatever else is popular at the time or like beach pajamas I think are kind of in right now. So the minute someone with a large following posts about it, it becomes all the rage and people are more willing to pay high prices for it. And I think that some resellers take advantage of this. So lastly, um, I've been called misogynistic for criticizing businesses that happen to be owned by mostly women just because they are owned by women and operated them too. What do you think about this? Catherine says, I'm not sure they're making the right connection. What does that have to do with being misogynistic? If a person is being unethical with their business, then they deserve to be called out. It has nothing to do with being a woman. It's just virtue signaling. I'm going to say that, of course, I agree with this. I just like to hear other people's perception of why these things might be happening. So obviously there's nothing anti-woman about calling out bad behavior. I think that being partial to someone just because of the way they look or how they identify themselves is not being honest or true with them because you're tiptoeing around them and walking around eggshells. And I think that's doing a disservice to anyone to not be upfront about these things and honest with them just based off of how they look or the, you know, their presentation or how they were born. It's really not something that I factor in. And I think that I, that is my form of being kind to others as being honest and straightforward and not lying to someone whenever they're doing something wrong. And I think that that kind of accountability is hard for everyone to do because it can upset people. But I think that we need to as people strive to express ourselves honestly without worrying about how other people are going to take it as long as you're not insulting them directly or being violent or threatening, then other people's feelings 
are really not our responsibility. And if somebody's going to be offended by something you say that's kind of like a neutral opinion, then that's something that they have to kind of reconcile within themselves. Doesn't mean I don't care about your feelings, but with something like this, I'm not going to hold back and not call you out just because we share the same gender. So that's where I stand. And this episode's going to be a little shorter than usual today, but that concludes our interview talking about estate sales and reselling and just some valuable perspectives of of people from people that aren't me, which I think is very crucial and important. So thanks for tuning in. And if you have not already liked or subscribed, I encourage you to do so so I can keep bringing you content and I can see how much you're enjoying it. I appreciate feedback, messages, um, answering the Q&A sections. I read it all. So thank you for sticking with me and tuning in and I will talk to you soon. Have a great rest of your day and thanks for coming to listen to other people's things.